0: Well, welcome to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. I'm Jules from beautiful Palm Springs, California, and I'm so glad you're listening. I haven't said this for a long time, but if you're tuning into this particular episode, I think there may be a huge reason for it. Tonight's show has a big message, and one that may warrant a few more interviews on this very subject. It's all about the collective consciousness, and it gives us practical information on how to connect. Tonight, we have Kevin Hancock with us with his very life-changing book called Not for Sale, Finding Center in the Land of Crazy Horse. The universe sent me this book for a very specific reason, and it was to change my life and to get me back on track. So before I get started with Kevin Hancock and this incredible interview, I want to bring on a friend, uh, Brent Wheeler, who came on to our last cruise on March 6th. And, And I just wanted to have Brent share his personal experience of why the cruises hold significant information when you come aboard. Hi Brent, it is so wonderful for you to come on to Law of Attraction Talk Radio and tell me, what you think of the last cruise?
1: Oh, it was fantastic. It was one of the best decisions I've made in many years. It was, it was a, a, a catalyst for a lot of things happening right now. It gave me the confidence to um, understand what was going on. I have a lot more confidence in how to use Law of Attraction. I, I really honestly wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't had your help and the help of all the presenters.
0: It was so interactive. It wasn't like you were separated from the the teachers. You were right in there just vibing along with all of us.
1: And and during the dinners, all the interaction was, was fantastic. It, it, The conversations allowed me to realize um, just how powerful and gifted of a sovereign being I am. I came back off the cruise uh, on fire. I mean, it literally was just uh, amazing. It was days before I got back to old reality, but back to where I could kind of focus because I was really just just amped up massively when I got back.
0: So you felt like you could put all these things that you heard on the cruise into practical application.
1: Oh, absolutely. It was phenomenal to hear all the different modalities and, and viewpoints all talking about you know, the, the same universal laws of law of attraction, energy laws, laws of love, you know, all the all the many things that uh, you and your other guests all say the same thing from different angles. Right. And when you hear it from different places and, and you see it being practiced, that's the biggest thing. I saw it being practiced, and I said, well, if they can do it, shoot, I can do it better. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and things to share with everybody, things, like I said before, that, that I've kind of known – but they were always in my head, and and nobody else talked about them.
0: What would you say to somebody? Can I afford this?
1: Ask the universe, open, allow. I mean, yes. I I actually skipped out on several of your cruises because <laughs> of fears. I I made excuses, and this last cruise, you kept chipping away at the excuses, and I finally said, okay, fine. You know, and I had this noise in the back of my head, my angels yelling at me. I finally sat down, said, all right, I'm going to do this. A matter of fact, right before I did finally sign up, I got this letter from the VA, and I thought it was going to be something horrible, and then the fear started rising up. And I said, "Stop, stop, right there, stop it." Signed on, made my reservations, and almost immediately I could hear like angels clapping. I was like, "Okay, fine, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm getting it, I'm getting it." I opened the letter up from the VA. It's a back payment. Tru- Cruise is paid for.
0: Uh, You see, Dr. David Che always says you have to detach and just let it go and let the universe provide. And don't say no. Don't say it's impossible. You have to take that action step like you did, put your registration in, and then just let it go. That's what it's all about. That's what proved to a lot of the people that they are powerful. So would you say that the cruise was um, made a difference in your life?
1: Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't miss it for the world. <laughs> um, I made new friends. I'm sorry, Joke me up because I made some really cool new friends.
0: Yeah, you did.
1: <laughs> I will not lie. They've been uh, just a, a, a blessing.
0: And uh, you're coming on the next cruise.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And
0: it is life-changing because you will realize how powerful you are. And that's the message that we want to give out to everybody, that they are powerful creatures, can do anything. We're not slaves. No. We're not We're not victims. We are simply taking our power back and creating for ourselves to make a happier life. That's what the cruise is all about. Oh, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on and telling all of the listeners what it was like. Let's take a fast break and we'll be right back with Kevin Hancock and his wonderful award-winning book, Not For Sale. Did you know that every human uses only a small portion of their powerful mind? Jules Johnson, international certified hypnotherapist, wants to introduce you to your powerful mind in order to create your dream life. In as little as one session, Jules guides you into releasing limiting beliefs that keep you from achieving wealth, health, better relationships, and even true love. Schedule a session in Palm Springs or set up a Skype video session for those nationally and internationally. Jules would love to serve as your guide into living your dreams. Go to creativeguidedimagery.com or call 951 201 that's CreativeGuidedImagery.com. So before we begin the interview, I wanted to share my reality of what happened to me last week. Things do happen for a reason. Wow, did I get the message right between the eyes. Oh, it was not comfortable by any means. I discovered that I am living life in a high stress zone. I've become so involved in the day-to-day management of the businesses that I have lost my connection. Last week, something really unimportant happened that I didn't like. I just really was stressed to the max. I knew I could resolve the situation easily, but instead I became so enraged that I actually had a meltdown with the person who I felt was responsible for getting the job done. And I went ballistic on this person. I was rude. I was mean. I was vile. And then I hung up and I cried. And then immediately I apologized. And then I turned all of the anger that I spewed out to that other person back into me. I directed it, not released it. I directed the anger into me. Not on purpose either. Turning anger within is what causes depression. And I had two hard days of depression. What in the heck is going on with me? Why did I do that to another person? I realized, wow, I am trying to give out an empowering message to the world, and yet I have become lost in the distraction of everyday living. Then I cried some more, asking passionately for clarity. Then I happened to come upon this book that was sitting on my desk to read because I have an interview scheduled. And truthfully, I really didn't feel like reading it. But thank you universe for the perfect timing of it all. This was a book that put me back into where I needed to be in the field of the law of attraction. I had questions now. Do we go by our gut instincts? Do we go by the heart or do we do it by listening? What is this all about? What I discovered is that perhaps the law of attraction is not just about me, me, me and my feelings. Perhaps it's about the collective and what we are all feeling. What is my responsibility in that? Perhaps that's the bigger message to it all. True, when we are all in touch with our own inner emotions, a shift occurs But there's a time when we must go past the servicing of self and move towards the servicing of all that makes a real difference in fulfilling our life's journey. A few nights ago, I started hearing my voice as if I was another person and hearing what the other person was experiencing as a result of my voice and words when originally I felt nothing at the time I was stating it, now was replaying in my head of what I said to people and how they took it. And I sat there in utter shock and horrific dismay as to how some of my words caused people pain and how I would have felt had those words been directed towards me. As they say in the Law of Attraction Land, It's not my responsibility on how others perceive my words. But the other night, I peeked into myself and I thought, well, perhaps it is my responsibility how someone else perceives my words. Perhaps I said something without really listening to what was being said. Perhaps my mind as a business leader dictated what I thought and discounted the voices that do matter perhaps I thought that my life experience and my inner guidance was enough but in a world that is changing so rapidly moving towards this shift of collective consciousness well I had to look and see if perhaps I have it all wrong I have the right intention but perhaps I'm wrong on many other levels. And yes, this all happened not 10 years ago, but just last week. It was definitely a heck of a week, but it was vital for me to fully engage into my emotions. And then here comes this book in my mailbox called Not For Sale, Finding Center in the Land of Crazy Horse. And within this book came the clarity that I had asked for oh this book is not a fast read and you really don't want it to be fast it is very profound and it came in the moment that I truly needed to hear it it's time to be silent and hear the words and feel the connection so this is what the show is all about tonight gaining clarity and gaining clarity is perhaps the most important thing we could do right now in this fast evolutionary shift that is occurring on this wonderful planet of ours. So let's talk to Kevin Hancock, author of the book, Not for Sale, Finding Center in the Land of Crazy Horse. This book won the National Indy Excellence Award in 2016 for Leadership Kevin Hancock is the president of Hancock Lumber Company which was established in 1848 and has over 460 employees. In 2006 the economy tanked and wrecked havoc not only on the company but also on Kevin's health. He lost his voice. This is an incredible message of a journey to reconnect into being human it's also an incredible story on shifting the business paradigm into recognizing the fruitfulness of engaging all minds instead of just the CEOs welcome Kevin Hancock to law of attraction talk radio I am delighted absolutely delighted to talk with you today
2: well, Jules, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, happy to be connected.
0: Um, as I mentioned to you uh, just a few moments ago, I think it's by divine uh, influence that we are talking today, because it's something that I need to hear, as well as the audience needs to hear. There's a paradigm shift occurring, and you're part of the plan. So basically, you wrote this phenomenal book called Not For Sale, Finding Center in the Land of Crazy Horse. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) But there's a huge message behind it all. So my first question, Kevin, is what was your intent for writing Not For Sale?
2: Well, it truly was a, a a story and then a book that, that found me. I did not even set out to write a book, and I was quite a ways down the journey before I realized I was writing a book, what started as a a journal, and a single trip to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota turned into so much more and, and I was just lucky enough to be at a point in my life where I was learning to listen and learning to follow the flow of the path that's before us so that I didn't mess it up. <laughs> you know, I just kind of kept following kept following along and um, here I am.
0: Yeah, here you are. You wrote uh, an incredible... Incredible, life-changing book so what I I just want to give a little bit of background for the listeners to grasp because in 2007 well your business uh, it's a huge business called Hancock lumber lumber in Maine it kind of hit the economic fall we were going through it all in 2007 the, everything was tanking but then in 2008, you physically lost your voice, and that was um, very it had to be very difficult for you, and a probably shock how are you going to run this huge, huge business under the economic standstill? It, it must have been devastating to you.
2: It definitely threw me for a for a big loop. So just to to back up a little bit, as you said, Jules, our, our company, Hancock Lumber, is located in Maine, and we began doing business. The company did in 1848, before the Civil War, and I'm part of the sixth generation of my family to work there. And Hancock Lumber is one of the oldest, uh, largest lumber companies in, in America. We grow trees we have sawmills, and we manufacture lumber that we ship all over the world, and then we have stores, we retail lumber and building materials in Maine and New Hampshire. And correct, in 2010, at the peak of the housing and mortgage market collapse, I began to have a great deal of difficulty speaking when I would go to talk, all the muscles in my throat would spasm and squeeze and contract and my voice would get very broken and weak and difficult to hear. What's worse for me was how I experienced it. It was quite painful. I would really kind of try to force my voice and my whole uh, throat got very sore and I would get dizzy and out of breath and found myself not wanting to say very much, so it it, it really scared me in terms of how I would perform my roles as the CEO of this company without consistently being able to talk. I wasn't sure what was going to happen next.
0: Gosh, oh my, That, that would have just scared me to death, but in hindsight, it was probably the best thing that could ever happen to you because it puts you on to a new journey
2: right so it turned out to be the beginning of this incredible blessing after visiting a series of doctors I finally was diagnosed with spasmodic dysphonia which is a rare neurological voice disorder that I'd never heard of with no known cause and no known cure the prime there are two treatments for the disorder one is chemical and the other is spiritual so the chemical treatment is a periodic botox injection into the throat which serves as a artificial temporary muscle relaxant and then the the more significant path that, that really pulled me in is that the the calmer the the calmer i can uh, make myself the more i can find my grounded core spiritual peaceful center the better my voice does and so my voice is actually a bit of a blessing now it's a built-in barometer that helps me keep tabs on um, how peaceful I'm I'm being you know as I move around as I move around and do my thing
0: why do you think it was your voice that was affected
2: great question and and that question is really at the center of of my book it it kind of follows my spiritual and emotional journey with losing my voice and then starting out on a series of trips back and forth to the to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation but what I came to believe over time is that that the loss of my voice the partial loss of the of my voice which I had originally only considered to be a problem or a hindrance or a liability was actually a blessing and a calling and an opportunity to do two things. First, to stop and sit still and transcend my roles and the expectations that the world around me had of me and find quiet time on a consistent basis to listen more deeply to the essence of my own soul. And then second, to do what I could to help strengthen the voices of others. And I began to see this pretty quickly in my work because from a leadership standpoint, when you can't always talk, you listen. It was a really simple but powerful transition. I got really good in a hurry at listening and asking questions, answering a question with a question, sharing the stage more broadly and in short order inviting everyone around me to lead and and quite quickly I could see that that actually worked better to the point where not only was it healthier for me, but it was a much more dynamic and powerful way for our organization to function. And, and the truth seemed really powerful in its simplicity. Wouldn't an organization where everybody led and everybody had a strong voice outperform and be more valuable than an organization where just a chosen few appointed traditional leaders did all the talking or held all the cards. So it was transformational for me in the way I thought about myself outside of my role and the way I thought about doing my job within my role.
0: Wow. Wow. This is such an important message because it's saying that The way that we view leadership is that they make the decisions and they're the brains that say yes or no but it's like we depend on one person instead of a whole wise group to come up with the the great solution
2: correct and as I started looking around the the world after I'd lost my voice and come to think differently about leadership. I I really came to came to believe, Jules, that a global human a- awakening or transformation is wanting to occur from the Piscean age to the Aquarian age, and and that generally speaking, that Piscean communal structure or leadership structure. If you think about it, was all about a chosen few people serving as the voice or the saviors or the anointed leaders who defined for everyone what the truth was. And this really was true regardless of the organizational type. You could see it in business. You could see it in government. You could see it in churches. And you could see it in households, even how households were structured. But that increasingly in the Aquarian age, each soul is wanting to seek, know, and speak his or her own individual Mm -hmm. truth. And that organizations and... Leaders that see this and embrace this, I think are going to have a dramatic advantage over time <laughs> versus organizations and leaders that resist resist that trend or fight that trend or try to cling to the order that that humankind is heading towards leaving behind. Oh yeah,
0: wow so let's go on with the story and then we're going to get into more of what you just said because it's powerful and it goes into evolution astrology and all of these other wonderful things i mean your (laughs) book has everything in there and it is it is so life-changing truly is but why did you feel the need to go to Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. What what was the force? What was the reason behind that?
2: Yeah, it was kind of twofold. The, the immediate event was this. in in 2012, by 2012, the economy had stabilized and I could see that our company was well on its way to being stable, healthy, and strong again. And I... Jules had a growing feeling that I tried to resist but couldn't, that, I ne- that simply was I needed to serve myself a bit more, and that was a very awkward feeling for me. I was so used to kind of focusing on everybody else. Mm-hmm. That summer, I was in an airport with my wife, Allison, and I picked up a copy of National Geographic, and the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation was the cover story and I'd always had a love affair with the American West It spent a lot of time there hiking and doing different things and also with American history particularly American history during the second half of the 19th century when our nation's Western expansion and manifest destiny ran into the Plains Indians. So anyway, I read that article and it was as if the story came out of the magazine and hugged me in the most loving way and pulled me right back in. And The second I finished the article, I leaned over to my wife and I said, I'm going to go there. I want to see what modern day life is like for the people that live there. And when we got back from our trip, I sent some emails, made a contact, and 60 days later there I was for what I thought was only going to be a single trip, but I've now been there nine times since 2012. Wow.
0: And so what did you learn from being there. I mean, this is wonderful. But before we get into that, you had an experience with astrology that kind of connected you and told you that you needed to do this.
2: I did. Back in 2008, fortuitously, uh, my mom had given me as a gift an evolutionary astrology reading from a woman in San Francisco who I had never met and working only off the date, time and place of my birth, she was uh, reading to me my natal chart and it blew me away (laughs) when I listened to it, it stopped me in my tracks, it was uh, essentially, I, I was like, no one can know the essence of the deepest parts of my own soul that that well, I'd never heard of an evolutionary astrology, no more than I'd heard of spasmodic dysphonia, which would come a couple of years later. But it 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 immediately got of my got my attention because of how true it rang to me. And the essence of the story that was being told in that reading was that uh, in my immediate past life, I was born into. A leadership role uh, within my tribe. The tribe was under duress, life or death duress, and that I had so much caretaker energy in such a public role with this tribe that I lost, completely lost touch with myself, the essence of who I was outside my roles, that I had no life that I could connect with beyond those roles and that under duress I became quite dogmatic and people did not feel heard by me. People did not feel heard by me (laughs) and that my tribe had perished and that in this lifetime I was here to try again to learn to lead differently And to find a deeper sense of self outside of those roles. And that if I did not learn those lessons, I was likely going to have some pretty serious issues with my health, which then two years later I acquired the voice disorder, which I've totally come to believe was... um, a, a excuse me a blessing from my soul my soul's way of giving me a really strong warning that it was time to do things differently so it was evolutionary astrology spasmodic dysphonia and then the pine ridge <laughs> indian reservation that all combined to kind of weave this this magical journey i ended up on and then ultimately decided to write about and share
0: so let's go into what did you do um at the pine ridge indian reservation that caused such a big transformation for you
2: i served myself Jules. That's the short answer, you know. Okay. I, I, you know, I just it. It felt so weird and awkward to be a, a CEO, a successful CEO of a successful company at the kind of the peak of my career, perhaps in my mid to late forties, leaving for a week at a time to go essentially hang out and do almost nothing at this remote Indian reservation in South Dakota. And it turns out um, what brought me there really helped connect me to the people there as well because the people there are very used to others from away coming to fix them or to tell them how they should change or to tell them what they should do differently. And I was really just coming there to kind of just be among them, to get to know them, to understand them, to acknowledge that they were there, to acknowledge their history, and and really just to be friends with the people that I met there. And, And that turned out to be a really powerful way to go about uh, integrating trying to integrate into their community
0: it's it's funny because the native americans have literally lost their voice um and so in a way that you are combining your voice with theirs correct a, a microphone correct
2: <laughs> and again the irony was just so so significant when i looked at that that i was searching for my voice in a place where no one felt heard where for a very different set of reasons the entire community felt ostracized set aside disregarded and and not listened to or respected
0: absolutely and there is a um a part or a little section in the book where you actually wrote them a letter of apology and it was so moving. Why what provoked you to do that?
2: So when I would go to go to Pine Ridge and spend time there and adjacent in the Black Hills, I was keeping a journal everywhere I went and I had just gotten into this very therapeutic cycle of, of stopping and writing down the, the deepest, most personal thoughts that were coming my way. And one day after I'd left the reservation, I was driving through the Black Hills, the land they used to own that was taken from them. And this notion of an apology came to me and I pulled the car over to the side of the road and just started uh, writing, and essentially the essence of the apology, as you know, because you've seen it, is just one of of awareness that that um, what really struck me at its simplest level, Jules, is realizing that Columbus did not actually discover a new world; that people already lived here, and it struck me like a ton of bricks. How could a truth that obvious? be set off the stage or put in the closet of our nation's history or the way we remember ourselves. And I felt so bad about, about that. And I know, you know, I wasn't directly there at the time, if you will, none of us, none of us were, and it's not even necessarily like, um, none of us have the ability to wind back the hands of time and, and change that but i have come to believe that that awareness in and of itself is powerful and that apologies are not meant to change the past they're meant to change the future and to help people reconcile make peace forgive and move forward
0: on both sides
2: correct on both sides, both the oppressor and, and the oppressed. And this, this circles right back to that notion of leadership we've been thinking about. I, I, I came to believe you can see in the Pine Ridge story the history of what happened to them and you can see it across time if you look at what happened to indigenous peoples or other um, cultures tribes that were overrun is that that often throughout human history those who hold the most power have overreached. They've gone too far. And there and overreaching has consequences. And in the long run, neither the oppressor or the oppressed um there there's there's a lot there that has to be reconciled on both sides in order for progress to be to, to be made and, and to realize that that there are communities in this country that have not yet recovered from Columbus's discovery or have not yet recovered from the quote unquote winning of the West, that that history doesn't end when the day of the event ceases. History uh, can can live for generations until it's reconciled in a heartfelt, soulful way and for many native communities in this country that day has still not yet come
0: so your first thing of business being on pine ridge was to really listen as to what they were feeling what they were thinking
2: it it was i was listening i was i was listening in two ways i was finding a lot of quiet Solitude on the vast expanses of the northern plains to listen to the whispers of my own soul. And then in my kind of daily routine in the community to just listen to them to get to know the people that were there and come to understand their perspective of their tribe, its history, their modern. Uh, situation and the path forward for them in the in the future and and really listening without seeking to judge or to provide them with a path. you know the people that that live there are wonderfully human. People are people I've come to say Jules, everywhere I go, I find this people are people and and the people of Pine Ridge have every. Uh, Skill and characteristic within themselves to thrive as a community um, once they've had the opportunity to reconcile, make peace with their past and begin to transcend it.
0: Are they able to do that? Is it difficult for them right now? In other words, when you went into their community, how receptive were they? to you being there?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great question and it can be a little bit tricky. Uh, yeah, there's a school of thought in many reservation communities that, <clears throat> that only Native peoples can speak for, for Native peoples and I totally understand the basis for that. But one thing I really love about their community Having said that is that, that the people there generally are more interested in your heart than your head <laughs> and they tend to look at someone's heart more so than what they know or what their title is and once – like often when someone would embrace me there and really welcome me in to, to their family or their world, they would say to me, I can, essentially, I can see that you have a good heart. And I love that about their culture—that it's because uh, that's also what was happening to me. I was learning to live a bit less with my head, n- not totally without it, because we still need it, but a bit less with my head, and a lot more with my my heart. Really, really starting to think about the soul as the essence of who I was, or the essence of who anybody is.
0: You know, I know we're talking about um, the American history and and everything, but this really applies to Canada. It applies to Australia with the, um, uh, the natives, indigenous people there. This applies to Africa, all of these different places. It's just not in the U.S. All of this, what you're saying is really applying to the human nature of people everywhere.
2: Correct, totally, and I came to believe that what i was what I was uh, experiencing and seeing in the extreme example that is Pine Ridge is a universal, timeless human story um, just just as you said, Jules
0: Wow, this is so powerful, so this is the um, theory for peace, for the individual human and for communities and a new way of living is simply embracing and connecting to those people, you know, like Pine Ridge is noted to be one of the poorest, poorest Native American tribes or communities. Of all of the um, reservations and that is is that one of the reasons why you went there did you see or did you feel their oppression while you were there
2: well it it is certainly a very well-known place it's it's perhaps the the biggest most remote most historic most disenfranchised and statistically challenged of all the Sioux reservations on the northern plains. So, uh, if one pays attention to reservation communities in this country, one would definitely know would definitely know about Pine about Pine Ridge. But the essence of that 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 human story that you were speaking to to me really started with the simple notion that we all come from a tribe we're all born into a story already being told if you will we're born into a moment in time in a culture on a street in a household and that tribe pulls on us to act a certain way mm-hmm. and to carry certain beliefs but each soul is here to individuate and it it brings me back to the great American mythologist Joseph Campbell and his powerful statement, we are the truth we seek to know. And every tribe has a lot of dogma that goes with the story, the communal story of who they are, but each individual is here to to transcend that noise and to find a way to stop, be quiet and listen more deeply to the essence of who they are and to come to know their own truth and to really find uh, one's own true voice and I've come to believe that when you w- when you do that, you end up blossoming or flowering in a way that invariably <laughs> makes you uh, more valuable to others and that therefore counterintuitively being a bit more selfish is selfless and i could actually see this which was really intriguing in the ancient rites of the lakota themselves so the other part of the, the story within my book is as i as i came to look at uh, their ancient traditions and rites and values i actually thought i could see a path forward not just for them and not just for me but possibly for all of humanity.
0: So what did you help them to do?
2: That's a great question. They I would I would say for sure uh, that they helped they've I've tried to help them but I think they've helped me even more and I've gone out of my way to say it that way. I tell my friends there that I came to Pine Ridge because you have things here that are powerful and valuable to me and that I've learned from you and gained strength from you. And I think it's important for people there to hear that because they're so used to, it's been ingrained in them that that someone would only ever go there to try to do a public service deed for them. And I don't want to diminish that at all because that is really cool and noble and valuable, but I think the notion that's even more powerful is to help them recognize that they are already in possession of ideas, skills, history, stories, values that the entire planet can benefit from and that they have a lot to
0: offer. Absolutely and how is it that they can offer do we have a platform for them to offer i mean you're right this is something that we all need to learn from
2: we do so so for example the Lakota have seven sacred rites that is Uh, they tell the story, were brought to them long ago, Jules, even before the coming of the horses. And one of those rites is the Vision Quest. Many people would have heard of that uh, rite. In the Vision Quest rite, young people coming of age or adults at a transformational moment in their lives would leave their tribe with no possessions or belongings, and sequester themselves alone in nature for multiple days at a time for the purpose of seeking a vision. The Lakota term is Chia, which translated means to cry for a vision. And the idea was that if you seeked, you might well find, (laughs) you might well find the connectivity you have to all living things, that single energy source that unites all that lives, and you might gain a deeper understanding of the essence, the whispers of your own soul, that which makes you, you, feel so alive and dynamic. And then uh, you were expected to return to your tribe share the vision you had received and live your life in accordance with that message and those values. And the notion was really powerful at its essence. If every individual in the tribe was living their own truth and had a strong voice, Then the tribe would be strong. It was right out of, to me, Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book. The strength of the pack is the wolf, the strength of the whole is the individual. And it was an individual, soul centric culture. And I was like, oh my word, that's exactly where the planet, the entire planet wants to head and it, and it, and the path is living right there in the stories of this largely forgotten tribe and and what's more you spoke about this earlier uh indigenous wisdom the, the that is the essence of the vision quest is a is a rite that shows up time and time again in indigenous cultures around the world indigenous cultures that that have never met and when you find truths that show up in multiple indigenous cultures, it it has to start to tell you something or get you to stop and think about the potential power of um, that path.
0: So the Pine uh, Valley reservation did are they able to find their own power within or were you able to what what is it are they empowered being there and you empowered empower, them more by listening
2: so that's a great question and it's hard for me to answer it I could I could really only answer it on a communal level you know there are individuals there that would each be in a different place on the spectrum but but as a general statement um you know my feeling was that that once their community was conquered and colonized and oppressed and decade after decade of of being remade as white people and all of the things that that happened, that the power, the power that that once lived with the individual, had largely been beaten out, uh, pulled out of that community. And today, it's the most kind of government centric mm-hmm. uh, community I've ever seen, where where all of the power tends to go to the corporate governing center, the tribal council, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the great father in, in Washington. And so what I tried to do in my story is lay out the the suggestion that the path forward for the people of Pine Ridge actually lay and lived in, in the old ways central among them is this notion of individual truth but i think that's also a challenge around the world like like in in my own culture i felt like people were were becoming numb to their individual truth as well lost in the the busyness, the 24/7 internet wired bigger better more go 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 world that we live in that the noise on that side can be so deafening that that it, if you're not careful you could live years or a life without stopping thinking listening and looking inward
0: that is so true so true so we're all unempowered un- so now is the time to start changing and so what you got out of how to um, start living a different life start being a different corporate manager or start living from a different viewpoint tell us about that how did it change everything around you
2: well it was it was really really dramatic (laughs) so so when i changed who I was I'm going back now within my my role as CEO of the company when I changed who I was and sustained that and became calmer and more collaborative and quieter and shared the stage with others and was listening without judging as often as possible you know i'm I'm very human too but 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 trying to to live that way, I found everybody else evolved too. I, I it, um, the only way to put it is that that's what happened. The entire organization changed it changed and I, I feel like therefore leaders have to be really really careful about how they lead because they have by virtue of their position, a significant impact on the vibe, the culture, the flow of the organization they're serving or are connected to and that with leadership comes a tremendous amount of responsibility as a result. Mm.
0: So you as the ceo are now listening and you're asking questions you're not making decisions just based on your shall we say ego i mean that's what ceos have is an ego or of confidence
2: yeah and yeah i would definitely use that term i lost a lot of ego in the in the journeys back and forth to pine ridge and it and it made me feel so much lighter, Jules, to let go of that ego. Everything got got simpler when I when I did that. So we we've now been working for a period of years on pushing as much power out from the center as possible. The opposite of that traditional model where you're trying to collect power we get very deliberate about trying to push it out. So we've instituted a a number of systems from from employee, third-party employee surveys, focus groups, huddles, and other feedback mechanisms designed to make the voice of the organization stronger and designed to make the voice of the organization a symphony where everyone's, what everyone thinks is the voice of the organization, and to learn, this was the big step for me, to learn to listen, just to understand, not to judge, not to correct, not to change, but just to understand, and to make- And
0: not to take it personally.
2: Right, and to make it safe. Mm. My biggest wish for, for our organization Forevermore, I think will will be this: to create a culture where people think it's safe to say what they actually think and feel. Wow. I call it the answers to the test because if uh, people will tell you. You know, they'll tell you what's right about the organization, they'll tell you what's wrong, they'll tell you how it could be improved, and they'll take tons of responsibility and initiative for doing so if leaders let them. And I've come to believe that the the, the key leadership trait of the Aquarian Age is the opposite of overreaching, it is restraint, which is holding the power, but not using it.
0: Wow. Wow. That is a very powerful statement right there. (laughs) It's like, okay, but again, it takes work to get there. And it takes a real opening uh, um, for CEOs, And, and this can apply everywhere, but for CEOs to step out of that role of making all of the decisions and opening it up to learn from others so this is what you primarily learned from going to the reservation
2: it is it is and I think and I think it's a learning I've come to believe it's a learning that can be integrated into any tribe or organization it could be valuable within a family within a school, within a government, a church, a lumber company, or an Indian reservation.
0: Exactly. This is, is so powerful. You know, I, I, I'm putting it in context today with this political madness going on. But what I'm <sighs> really hearing is that people, the tribe of the United States, the humans, are all wishing for a voice and i think that's what they're yelling to the elected officials hear me uh don't silence me am i on the correct am i hearing that correctly
2: uh, yes as far as i'm concerned that's what i'm that's what i'm hearing too and i think i think the world is looking for leaders who are going to make themselves smaller
0: (laughs) oh wow yes your life right now you're using your voice as Uh a gauge to your stress which is fabulous but your life right now has changed dramatically because of this what what is it when you go in the office now is it more relaxing is it like you're more kind of detached from where you were before
2: Yes, because I don't. That's detached, is a really good way to put it. I, and the change is I no longer see the organization that I'm leading as my identity
0: mm-hmm. or
2: my scorecard for my own worth. <laughs> I still love company, love the company, love my job and passionate about it. But I see that as a role I'm playing, not the essence of who I am. And and when I was able to make that leap, it it really liberated me. And I tell people in the process, I gave up this this business notion of global conquest which you see you see everywhere you know when i was younger it was this notion that we were gonna our company was gonna take over the entire industry and you see all kinds of companies or leaders thinking that way but it's really a um it's fool's gold it's a it's a hollow path uh, we we want to be really good at what we do we want our employees to to love working here we want our customers to have incredible value-added experiences here but we also want to put the work back in its place you know it's important but we don't want it to be all consuming and we want to live broader deeper lives in in which the work complements that life but doesn't consume it